glad to see you. How are you doing? Good. Thank you for having me. I'm, I'm so excited to be here. I'm doing yeah. well. Yay, yay. This is going to be so much fun because we're going we're gonna to talk about, well, you know, when we talk about mental health, sometimes it can be hard, but sometimes it can be really fun. And you're one of the most creative people that I've ever met who's <laughs> using arts as a medium to connect to people and have people connect to uh, their own strengths and their own abilities. Can you tell, especially during the pandemic, you did something really interesting with mask making when we had to help people figure out how to uh, wear and use masks and do it in a, in a way that was fun. Didn't you do a fashion show? Is that what you all did? We did. We did, yeah. we, we did a fashion show, uh, created uh, the face shields. And, uh, and we taught people how to sew masks. Uh, they picked out their patterns and, individuals who did not have a sewing machine you know good old uh, needle and thread was perfect wow yeah and and we had them think outside the box with the face shields and whether choose a dragon choose a a geisha doll whatever it was and their passion was not only did we teach them how to be safe but also uh, be creative yes yeah it took something that i think was really hard during this time and made it a way to engage people in and um, I also recall that it was both people with lived experience, providers also took part and some providers had people that they serve and they all kind of took part and took yes. pictures of holding up their face masks or their face shields uh, with all the different designs on them. And of course, once you design on a mask, we did have to talk about them maybe not being the safest, but, <laughs> but I also like how you help people think about if you want to sew one, this is the fabric that you'll need in order for it to be uh, safe and usable, not just fashionable. So that was very cool. Absolutely. You know what I, I like about it, that it brought us together in a very terrible time. It allowed us to express ourselves and feel, okay, hey, you know what? We're doing this as a group. And yeah. like said, it, was only, it was not only people with lived experience, it was anybody coming in joining who were really scared and and what we were going through we were going through together yes yeah and i i noticed too because this was all done virtually at the beginning because um you know things had to shut down and the like that there might have been some older adults who had their caretakers or whoever their in-home support service folks helping them participate in the groups and they were so proud to show their mask and their things and that was that was really really so powerful as you say during a time when we were all kind of shut in in different ways and trying to find ways to socially connect even though we had to be physically distanced so some other things that you know I think are really powerful when I first met you one of the things that you were doing um, was helping people with employment. And you were able to tell me all the different things that you were doing, as well as how people got employed, even while they were still experiencing homelessness. So how did you learn all that stuff about how to help people uh, think through the entire interview, resume writing, application, all that stuff? How did you help people do that? It started with myself. Um, I was a consumer in one point, and I remember um, I was in San Diego. I, f- I found a social worker who, who kept seeing something in me, and she's like, hey, I think you're not ready to work. I had never worked in my life. I did not have the skills or, or the education. She sent me through, to a group where individuals uh, who had a disability, and I'm talking about 
mental illness can get together. And it was like a clubhouse. I saw uh, someone doing a resume. I didn't know, know what a resume was. And uh, they were teaching us about you know, our, our history together. And I asked, well, what if I don't have any experience? I have never been in the workforce. And you know, this person taught me that we all have something to give or contribute. She asked me, are you a mother? I said, yes. And she said, well, you know, time management, you know this. So I'm like, whoa, that blew me away. And eventually I got hired to become the job developer for the, for the group oh, wow. because uh, I love, I've always loved resources. And I would always look, you know, back in the day, you had to look at the newspaper for ads. Mm -hmm. And I would always look for free stuff, but I would see employment. And I would remember when we were in group and someone would say, you know, I'm looking for this position. And I said, oh, I, I saw something. So that, that, became, that became the first time I, I started knowing about job developing and helping community with resources. But I got thrown in it just by accident by a joyous accident. Mm -hmm. And uh, I started learning law, uh, meaning uh, disability law, mm -hmm. and what could be said, what, what could employers not say. So I started uh, finding employment as a job developer. And I started thinking, this, this was myself once. And I decided that I needed to find employment uh, for myself so that I can help these individuals who have been in the same position as that I had. Mm -hmm. I've been in this field for more than 20 years and it's grown and it has changed. But my ultimate goal is to help individuals remove those social barriers. When we're ill and we're not receiving the help, it's going to affect us tremendously in our employment, you know, not showing up to work, not knowing how to call out sick or how to even disclose a disability for accommodations. So for me, I kept thinking, putting myself in people's situations. I love helping individuals. And as I was empowered by this individual, mm -hmm. I wanted to continue doing that. But I was homeless, but nobody knew I was homeless. I still was able mm -hmm. to keep a job. I would take showers at the YMCA, get a membership. Mm -hmm. And then uh, keep my clothes inside my car whenever I had, a, you know, a car. And uh, I've been homeless with each one of my children, but none of my employers knew that I was homeless. I had to show up. I had to work because I had kids and I hated being responsible <laughs> because I wanted to take some time to look for housing while I was homeless and you couldn't do this side by side. But what helped me was that I was working and therefore I could afford once in a while a hotel room mm -hmm. so that I can really get a good night's rest. But, um, and I remember there's, there was times when the medication that was given to me affected me so much at work. So I had to fake it until I made it. Mm -hmm. And as I became a job developer, I started learning the laws and I would tell the individuals, hey, you know, that I was working with, let me help you look for an accommodation. Do you find that you can't get up in the morning? Yes, Lori, yes. Okay, let's do this. And I think my lived experience definitely helped me out. I became from someone that had never had a job before with no skills to someone that was helping and empowering individuals. Right, right. The system. 
as a friend of mine in Canada says, you know, moving from Ellen to Skillen is kind of how they put it. So, yeah, but, you know, I, when you talk about that lived experience, you know, and hearing how you're using it to inform what you were doing and what you're continuing to do to help people, Sometimes I don't know that folks understand the difficulties that people have when they're experiencing homelessness or imagine that a person experiencing homelessness can also be somebody who's working. Yes. I think that is like so out of the sort of mind map or consciousness of how we think about um, homelessness. And, you know, we found more and more um, in the work that I've been doing around the country um, that you know, there are a lot of people who are actually just scraping by and, you know, have a mental health condition, take medications, you know, try to do what they can. But but you've said it exactly. How do you look for housing when you're trying to show up from work? If you miss work, you're fired. And then it's like now not only are you homeless, but now you're homeless and unemployed when you were employed. So how did you um, help people? Because I know we've had it a couple of times where somebody um, was in either shelter housing or having to go to shelter and the shelters didn't open or work for the person at the time. Meaning I I can't remember what it was. They were like, got off at work at a time that the shelter wasn't open, but they needed to sleep so that they get ready. Tell me a little bit about how we help people and understand those experiences. And, And it's happened so many times where the system doesn't really help us to succeed because there's all these things that we have to navigate around. And, and this is the part of, about being responsible for when individuals have to choose between staying in a warm place and, and getting the rest that they need or going out to work. You have to make that decision. But definitely looking out for, I think, advocating for someone uh, by me calling the shelter and saying, hey, listen, what can we do to help this individual? Or if you don't open your doors at a certain time, Can you tell me what shelter does? There's uh, Bellflower does an amazing job with this. For whatever reason, there's like 10 little churches in one in one city block. So uh, the city designated each church a place where on one night they feed the community. Another church uh, showers them and another, another church has the shelter and they alternate. And it's finding the resources that are going to benefit that individual. So Mm -hmm. My job was to find something like that. I called Bellflower and, and I said, okay, do you guys partner with outside cities, outside agencies? Yes, we do. This is, you could go to this place. So finding the resources and that individual was working. My job was to make these phone calls because right. nobody did that for me. Right. So being able to advocate and look for the resources. So when I would say, hey, I found a place for you. And then here we go with the issue of the transportation, because what if they get off at midnight, but that time the buses aren't running. So finding alternative uh, transportation, whether if it was the the church being able to go pick them up or meet them or even a a church member outside. Mm -hmm. But then you have to think about, and I did this for myself. The first time that someone helped me was uh, at a a church that had to be, it was a Mormon church. And I asked, I was afraid. I'm like, does that mean I have to be a Mormon? They said, no, 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 no. So for me, that's important. When I look for uh, agencies that are faith-based, okay, do you have to try to convert? No, 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 no. Listen, we're taking care. This is our, our sector. We take care of our parishioners. And just because they're not converted, you know, we still consider them our parishioners. Right. So looking at the faith-based, looking at the ethnicity of the culture, 
and making sure that the individuals are going to be helped and taken care of is something that I continue to strive to do, not just looking at a place that can help. It's you have to look under who the person is and kind of cater to that individual. Snap, snap, clap, clap, all of my thumbs up on that. And that, um, you know, it was such a beautiful thing too, when we needed to bring in the Korean community, we're, we're sitting in the middle of Koreatown and it was like, okay, where, where, where are the Korean people? They're not, they're not coming to us. We're not coming to them. What could we do? So actually reaching out to resources that the Korean community trusted partner so that then people can come in and see someone who looks like them, see someone who speaks their own language, you know, see someone who knows the resources uh, that uh, are, you know, culturally aligned or linguistically aligned is so important. So if we don't have it, we have to find somebody who does and know those resources. That's so, so, so powerful. And it, it also means we don't have to do it all, that we are using many, 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 many different resources and connecting people and making sure that those connections happen. I hate the word warm handoff. It just sounds, uh, it just sounds, I don't know. It sounds like a wet, sweaty hand. <laughs> I know it's not, but you know, the euphemism sounds like a wet, sweaty hand. And I'm like, no, I don't know that I want that, but really creating um, true partnerships and, and true collaborations that are much stronger than sort of, well, oh, here's the warm handoff. Have a good time. Bye kind of thing. So the other thing that we, we, uh, I found out about you, which I didn't know uh, was um, one of the things that, that I like is I'm a, I'm a geek. I love anything cosplay, sci-fi, some anime, not all anime. I also like playing tabletop role-playing games, which are called TTPRGs or role-playing games, let's say. And one of the things I notice when, um, you know, people are playing any type of games, it could be Monopoly, it could be Dominoes, it can be Scrabble, it could be whatever. Uh, Loteria is an example, right? Is there are characters in there, there are stories in there, there are things that come out when people gather together to play a game. And much of it is, I'm going to use the word and put it in air quotes, therapeutic, meaning we're coming together and we're having social interaction. That's therapeutic. Mm -hmm. Uh, We are helping each other set up the games. That's leadership. Like I'm helping somebody to set up a game as a game player. So now I'm a leader, I'm a helper. We're helping the people next to us roll the dice or count the dice or move the pieces or what have you. So now I'm a team member, I'm a collaborator, I'm a friend. And then during gameplay, sometimes people will talk about what they're going through. Oh yeah, last time I got a number like that, I was really struggling and you know, I never get my way in a game, just like life, I never get my way or I never win, you know, that kind of thing. And so- What I recognize about gameplay is that we can use this in a way to put our problems in the game Mm -hmm. um, and act out our problems, if you will, um, in a game or in a character. So I um, became a certified... certified geek culture therapist, whatever the heck that means. Woohoo. And I'm also trying to finish up my game master um, certification too. But what I I, uh, was interested in, especially since I've seen a lot of um, peer supporters run game groups is how can we improve how we're running those groups to encourage people to use it for that therapeutic manner, you know, to really kind of, I wouldn't say push or pull, but really kind of make it do it with intention. And so you joined um, this little group <laughs> to learn how to uh, run a tabletop role-playing game, to make characters, to talk about those characters, to do team building. And um, and then one day we all showed up as our character. 
we all (laughs) and I was like oh they're not gonna dress up and there you were you were dressed up as Gabriel Gabriel the angel is that right yes that's right had my halo yeah you had your halo and it was perfect but um so how do you do you continue to do things like that like you know um you know games groups or think about games or and again, playing tabletop games, not playing games on people, but uh, tabletop games or things like that and how they can be helpful to people. And, and you mentioned one of the games that we did was Loteria. Yes. And yes. And, and you know what? Uh, um, we did, uh, even if, if people did not know any Spanish or anything, we helped them with the pronunciation. They learned new, new skills. First of all, let me tell you that tabletop game made me cry so much at the end because I didn't want it to end. And, and, and it was just fabulous. I learned a lot of tools and techniques that I still apply now mm-hmm. uh, with, with, within the online groups. But, you know, like you said, when you have someone that's, oh, you know, I didn't get that number. I didn't get that. You say, well, wait, 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 let, let's try again. It's not the end of the game. Let, let's, you know, let's, mm-hmm. let's wait until the end. But it's such an awesome tool to help individuals, one, uh, get out of their comfort zone, visualize them being someone else or put, you know, uh, how they say, uh, put yourself in someone else's shoes. Mm-hmm. I did actually play the game with uh, a few people, the one that you gave us. Oh, and right. Uh, yes, what what do they give you? It was like an eight dimensions game, right? Oh, yes. goal, hero. goal hero. Goal hero. Yes. Yes. I, I did play with people. And in, in, in that, it was face to face, of course, you know, within my circle and stuff like that. But you're right. I discovered that when, you know, part of the game with Goal Hero was that you have to work together to get certain little tools inside your bags. But I didn't I didn't tell them, okay, this is what, you know, you need to do. I let them figure it out. Mm-hmm. And just like we had the epiphany as we continue playing the game, oh, my God, if you have the, this, then we're going to be needing it for the next door that we choose. Mm-hmm. But I saw the growth on the individuals as they're getting to know the game, putting themselves out of the problems that we're in and getting into these new problems that are part of the, the, the tabletop game thing, right? Yes. But when we came back to reunite ourselves again, somebody mentioned, hey, Lori, I found myself in this situation. And I thought to myself, what would my character do from yeah. the game? And uh, I reached out to somebody else in, in, uh, that we were playing with because we came together and said, hey, I'm struggling with this. You know, what tools do you have in your bag Yeah, that can help me out right now? And what I mean by tools is that, you know, when we're in recovery, and I mean at mental illness, as you evolve, you need new tools to help you cope because the tools that you used to use are no longer going to be useful. They're, they're old tools. So this game had brought this individual to come to that realization. Well, I don't have those tools right now that I need. Let me see if my partner over here has some different tools. And yeah, she she was struggling with a huge panic attack and the breathing meditation was not working for her. So when she talked to this person, she said, try uh, closing one nostril and breathing in through it and exhaling through that one. And it made her relax. So these might seem like, oh, it's just a game, but no, this is part of the community where if I don't have the tools, I'm going to reach out to someone for assistance and for guidance. 
So I was uh, so, so shocked when I was running a peer run organization and a lot of the groups were these game playing groups. They were playing dominoes or sorry or things, games like that. And I was told by another peer, what a waste of time. This is a waste of money. We're playing games as if we're children. And, and I want to take all feedback seriously. So I thought, well, gee, are we treating people like children? And so I went to the different groups just to see, you know, how were these groups run and what was happening in the groups? And it was real. I just saw something completely different. Yes, I saw people playing, sitting around and playing dominoes and all this. So I did see a sense of connection. I saw social interaction. And that was the point, you know, Project Return was started for socializing because people had left institutions and gone into community and didn't have any friends. And so this create created opportunities for socialization. But what I also saw again was somebody would ask to set up the game. Somebody would help somebody who couldn't see the dice or couldn't count the dice because they didn't have good math skills or couldn't read the instructions. So they would offer to read the instructions. So I didn't see people who were children. I saw people who were actually actively taking part in their community through this game, right? Through playing this game. And from that day on, I was like, no, games are the bomb.com. This is such an easy way for people to enter in. We actually had some groups at um, Metro State Hospital, and we designed games for Metro State Hospital because there were things that they needed to do out in the community that they couldn't do in the hospital. So when they, when they were discharged, should they be discharged? How would they know how to do it? How would they be prepared to do it? So we actually practice it through gameplay. So, you know, going out and getting something to eat, inviting somebody, asking somebody for a ride, you had to do these tasks in a game um, and get points for it or get help for it. You get more points if you didn't know how to do it. And then you ask for help to encourage people to ask for help. So it's really kind of a very, very powerful thing, as is, um, I think, being very, very creative. Again, you're super creative. Uh, You got some beautiful, beautiful uh, cloth dolls made um, um, by you. I am you know, really interested in hearing, and, and I'm, I'm guessing a lot of people know, oh yeah, most people with mental illness, they're creative. Okay, fine. Thank you. But, <laughs> but what do we, what do we, what are you doing with that creativity? How we heard about the mask and the, and things like that, but tell me a little bit about the dolls and, and kind of what's going on there. That's another purposeful pandemic thing for you. <laughs> it is. We're doing online groups for art. And uh, one of the things that I thought about was a doll. I had seen a documentary about uh, individuals with dementia. And when they had an episode, they were provided a little doll. And they would stop that um, behavior because they would concentrate on the baby doll and and nurturing and caring. And I remember I told uh, Joseph, you know, he's a very good friend of mine. I said, hey, I would like to teach a class on making dolls, except my dolls will not have a face. And, you know, even as I was teaching the group, they're like, why do your dolls have, do not have a face? And I said, because mental illness does not have one particular face. Hmm. I know that when I would be, if I were to be in a crisis situation and you give me a doll that was nice and smiling and stuff, I would diffuse it. That's not how I'm feeling right now. I don't want a happy uh, doll. Now, if you give me a sad doll that, that's crying, I'm going to focus my nurturing on that doll and soothing it and doing this, right? But the dolls that I created are either made out of socks or cotton and fleece. My two grandsons uh, have autism. So for them, the touching is very important. 
Mm-hmm. So I chose material that's going to be soothing and what do you call it? That they would be okay with it. My, my, one of my grandsons loves, loves fleece. The other one loves cotton. And so for, for me, I like sewing by hand. I don't, mm-hmm. it, to me, that's my therapy. Mm-hmm. And I thought, you know, this would be great if we could provide this to every single clinic all over, not only here in LA County, all over the nation, little dolls for people who are in, um, not even necessarily trauma or crisis, but it's nice to be given something special. Yeah. And mm-hmm. um, people embrace the dolls. They're very therapeutic. When I started giving them out as prizes for Loteria or for, you know, best costume uh, as, you know, uh, throughout this whole pandemic, people really were embracing them. And uh, a lot of uh, individuals were telling me, hey, Lori, this is the first dollar I've ever had, you know, being a male or female. So I make different types of dolls. Uh, as you mentioned, I, I, I am a geek as well. So anything, uh, whether it's DC or Marvel, I created, I created football, I even made some college, both, of course, USC and UCLA for everybody and anybody who wanted them. And, uh, yeah, I, I got a great response for them. And uh, when I taught the class, some I told uh, the individuals, make them however you want. Don't go by my, my guide. I just want to teach you how to make the body, the, uh, the little head, and whatever they want. But they went all out. They gave them the eyes, the happy faces. And I've been asked to teach this class three times already because people want to continue doing it. And the beauty about it is that as we're uh, sitting down and we're all so it's quiet and peaceful. And, you know, I don't have to start talking or anything. It's just we could tell that, you know, we see each other in, in, uh, in, in the screen and everybody's with their head down and just sewing. And they're like, wow, this is relaxing. But one of my hopes is that to open this, you know, once, of course, um, we're able to meet together again and we're feeling safe, kind of like have this as a quilting. Remember back in the day when people used to have quilting? Oh, yes, definitely. What I've done with the American Indian Counseling Center before the pandemic and during the pandemic was beating circles. And so we, you know, all the people get together and they do beading circles and they learn different types of bead patterns. Mm. I have very, very bad vision. So I thought, oh, I can't do this. <laughs> but it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter just being there and trying and having encouragement from someone else and being able to just be in community with somebody doing a collective activity, even though it's individual, was just so relaxing. And during the pandemic, when we were all again at uh, you know at home doing this, they went around and delivered the beading materials to everybody's home. So if you knew that you were going to do it, you know, in a week or two weeks, somebody would make sure to come by and drop off the materials for you if they couldn't mail them. I thought, wow, this is this is how we're going to get through this thing. You know what I mean? It's amazing. Well, I, I want to do this. Uh, so peers making dolls for other peers. I, I want it to be a movement. I just don't want it to be okay, you know, a couple of people making dolls just for therapy. No, I, I want this to reach everywhere, nationwide, countrywide, I, I'm everywhere. Wow, thumbs up, snap, snap, clap, clap. Love that. And I love the idea of movement and 
making something to give to someone else that sometimes, you know, to help one out of their hard time, sometimes it's about thinking also of somebody else or supporting somebody else that having that sort of internal feeling, and then also getting something from somebody else when you need it is so beautiful. And I also love the idea that you said, oh, yeah, they didn't have faces, because if you give me a, you know, a doll with a smiley face, uh, no. And and I... <laughs> so distinctly remember I have these uh they're knitted fabric dolls from I, I believe Guatemala I, I I bought my first one when my mom was sick in the hospital she was in coma and somehow I saw this doll and I thought about how she used to give me dolls it was a little brown baby doll with pink cheeks and she's wearing a bright green kind of outfit and she had two little you know afro pom-poms on her head <laughs> You know, made out of this yes. sort of crochet. And I, and I just thought, oh, I have to have this doll because it's going to comfort me while my mom is ill. And her face was a smiley face. And the next doll I got was, because uh, I didn't want the doll to be alone. So I bought a similar doll, <laughs> companion doll, a little boy doll in his pajamas and all this. And um, one time when I was, I was having a really hard time, I said, let me take, you know, one of the dolls with me. I went, I went to Sometimes when I have a hard time, I go to a hotel and I treat myself. So, um, and I'm lucky I can do something like that. So I took the doll, I packed it. And when I kind of crawled into bed and that's what I do, I crawl into bed, I crawled into bed and little doll was kind of sitting on the pillow. And I looked at the doll, dang doll had a smile on its face. I was like, the nerve, the nerve, what are you smiling at? What are you, no, I'm not happy. Why are you, I literally like, I want to say I smacked the doll out of the bed. <laughs> you know what I mean? I shoved the doll out of the bed. Like, no, you cannot be in this bed. Get out. And I just like shoved it. Cause I was so upset. Yeah. And I was like, why? And then it was like, the doll is mocking me. And of course the doll wasn't, <laughs> wasn't mocking me, but I love this idea of that. It's faceless. It can have the emotion you need it to have or have no emotion at all. And it's just sort of there for you. I just love the way that you articulated that. It <laughs> reminded me of, and my dolls are so cute. I think I have a Yoda doll, a baby Yoda doll. Oh. One of them is wearing a baby Yoda outfit. Oh. I have sugar skull, the sugar skulls. They're wearing all different types of um, little outfits. And so in different sizes and just beautiful, beautiful work. You know, so if there's one thing that you would want to leave the listeners with, I always ask people this, um, you know, you shared bits of your story and how it impacted the work that you do. Uh, we've talked about creativity and the power of creativity. You know, if there's one thing that you want to leave the listeners with, it's a variety of types of people that listen to this podcast. What's one thing that you would say to folks? Definitely people like us get better. There's hope. Yeah. We just have to not give up. And, and as uh, we continue to evolve, look for tools, share your story. By sharing your story, that's where you uh, find the tools from someone else. Uh, yeah. What worked for them can also work for you. So yeah. definitely share that story. Yeah, thank you. Thank you so much, Lori, for joining me today on Unapologetically Black Unicorns. I always feel inspired and warm and tingly when I talk to you. I just feel better. So my day did not start off well, but it is, you know, I'm so glad I've spent this time with you today. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you for having me here. Sure thing. And for our listeners, please remember to join into Unapologetically Black Unicorns next week. Right. Thanks so much. <laughs>